0: I'll ask you to take your Bibles with me this morning for our time in the Word of God and turn to the book of Romans. We are returning once again to our study of verses 9 through 21 of Romans chapter 12. And we know this to be what we've identified as the second section, verses 1 to 8 being the first section, verses 9 through 21 being the second section concerning this doctrine, the necessary doctrine concerning Christian conduct, how we live as Christians. So as we begin our time this morning, let's bow for a word of prayer and just offer our time to the Lord. Father, we once again thank you for this privilege This time where we can come together as your people and we can open your word freely in a country that gives us that freedom, at least as of this date. And so we do that with great excitement, with anticipation in our minds and our hearts as to what we might learn concerning you and concerning ourselves and concerning your glory and how we can honor you with our lives. So, Lord, attend to our time as you have promised By your spirit, illumine our hearts and our minds to understand these things, that you might be honored through it all. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Well, this is an interesting time of year, especially here in the West. By West, I mean our own country in the Western civilized world, because we have just come off the holidays And quickly, the calendar turns its page, and here we are at the first part of a new year. And with that comes the phenomenon that maybe some of you have participated in as of late. New Year's resolutions. New Year's resolutions. I made one this year that I will never make a New Year's resolution. We know it well, don't we? We chuckle about it. We think about it. It's that time of year that all kinds of well-meaning individuals make any number of promises, any number of declarations to themselves about changes that they are going to make in the new year. They make what we call and identify as resolutions. These are determined claims, claims to themselves and to others all with the intention of doing what they say. But as I was reading this week in a report, most New Year's resolutions fail within the first six to eight weeks. (laughs) If that report tells us anything, it tells us this, that the human species is not good at keeping its word. The human species has a hard time keeping its word, even when it makes it to itself. The conduct of the world in general just doesn't get a passing grade. We're failures. But when we're speaking of Christian conduct... When we transfer the thought from the world to the church, the very opposite ought to be true. We've been studying this doctrine here in Romans chapter 12, the doctrine of Christian conduct. And when we were beginning our study, we were looking at verses 1 and 2, and I have told you from time and time... and over time that we are going to refer back to these two verses over and over again. Because in verses 1 and 2, you get a grand summary of everything that follows in the final chapters of this book. In other words, they summarize in one grand principle how to carry out all that we are commanded to carry out in the verses that follow through the end of chapter 16. And chapters 12 through 16 are filled with commands. These are duties. Duties. We can call it that in the Christian world. These are duties for our Christian conduct. How we are to live as Christians. doesn't matter if it's our Christian relationship to the world around us or whether it's the relationship between Christian to Christian. It really doesn't matter. These are our so-called resolutions. We can call them that. These are our determined and commanded things that we are to do. And the keeping of any resolution has to be grounded in truth. really doesn't matter which resolution you make. But particularly when we think about them as Christians, when we think about doing that which we are commanded to do, In chapter 12 and what we will see in the following chapters, we can't just simply look at them in an intellectual kind of way. We cannot leave them on an intellectual level and hope that we will somehow absorb them and somehow begin to see them flushed out in our lives. In other words, there has to be direction in our understanding. There has to be movement for change to take place in our Christian behavior. And that is what verses 1 and 2 of chapter 12 do for us. They motivate us. They give us the reason why we should be and the reason why we can be doing these things. In other words, they help to energize our resolute action. They help to give gasoline to the engine. They they are the the pull string, if you will, that starts the whole thing going. And we've seen this all along as we have been going through chapter 12, right? We will not, as we saw a few weeks ago, love, verse 9, without hypocrisy unless we are already presenting ourselves as living sacrifices to God. In other words, the only way to love God in the way that God commands us to love Him without hypocrisy, not in a fake way, not with the mask on, is to be presenting ourselves as a holy living sacrifice. You cannot do the first part of verse 9 without first embracing and walking in the very realities of verses 1 and 2. You don't fully understand and embrace and grasp the mercy and grace of God upon your life and why you need that mercy and grace and why God has granted you mercy and grace and the fact that it's because of mercy and grace that you are what you are. You will never love without hypocrisy. It is a gratitude. It is a living out of a gratitude because you understand what God has accomplished in your life. How do we rightly devote ourselves, as it says in verse 10, to one another in brotherly love if we aren't first loving God through a proper response to what He has accomplished on our behalf through Jesus Christ? There's no way for you as a church or as an individual Christian to love me as an individual Christian in a one-on-one relationship in spite of all the human irritations that come within those relationships, there's no way for you to love one another in the human relationships that you have as Christian to Christian if you are not loving through the love of which God through Jesus Christ has loved you. There's no way for us to be devoted to one another as we are commanded to be devoted to one another in love, unless we are offering ourselves as a willing offering to God for Him to use us as He wishes to use us. Again, we will not honor one another. We will not give preference to one another in honor. We will not give honor and we will let alone not lead the way in giving honor to one another if we are not doing it through a constant understanding and reminder and contemplation of that you are what you are in Christ only because of the working of God's mercy and grace. So we can see it is those two verses that undergird all of this. It is those two verses that drive it all. It is those two verses that are the foundation on which all of this other command is built. And so again, for our time this morning, as we spend it here in just verse 11, we're still dealing with Christian-to-Christian relationship. And here we find... Paul addressing our general attitude for how we do what we do. This is our general attitude. We might even say it this way, the spirit in which we do our duty. This is the spirit in which we do our duty. That's being addressed by Paul. What kind of spirit is it in which you are doing the very things that you're supposed to be doing? Here's how Paul puts it in verse 11. Not lagging behind in diligence, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord. Doesn't seem too sharp on the first look, but I can assure you that it will get sharper as we go, as we spend time with the blade of God's surgical knife on the grinding stone. It gets sharper and sharper. And you remember what we have already learned, right? We are all members, it says, of the body of Christ. For a Christian, we are members of the body of Christ in the sense that we are part of the kingdom of God in a universal sense, but God has created the church, the gathering, the called out ones. We are members of one another in a local assembly, the local manifestation of the body of Jesus Christ. You have been grafted into the body of Christ if you are a Christian. And it's manifested here in the local church. So here we are. We are those gathered here by God, by His sovereign way of working in our life. Bringing us together as a local manifestation of Christ to a watching world around us, the people across the street in our local church, the people in the town around us, the people in the neighborhoods and the outskirts of town in your own neighborhoods are watching. And we cannot escape our part of the belonging. We cannot escape that. We cannot say, well, yeah, I go there, but that's not part of me. We cannot escape. We are part of the body. So the question is, how do we function within the body? How do we function within the body? How are we to do the work to which we have been specifically called? What's our attitude to be in that work? What is is it that's to characterize our lives as individual Christians within the body of Christ? That's the question that Paul is answering here as we look at verse 11. We might even say it this way in January, the first Sunday in January of 2020. How do we fulfill this resolution? How do we fulfill this resolution? Well, let's analyze the words that Paul uses here. Because first, Paul says in the first phrase, not lagging behind in diligence not lagging behind in diligence in other words we are to be wholehearted in our activity in our doing we are to be wholehearted in our doing now once again we cannot look at this in some kind of isolated way right if we do that if we look at this don't lag behind in diligence in an isolated way we will be like other people who make resolutions And they fail to keep them because they don't have any drive to do it. We can't look at it like that. If we say, okay, I'm not just to be lagging behind in my diligence. Uh, I can't can't look at that on a surface kind of way, or there's going to be nothing in me to, to really drive me. I'm going to fail. We have to be driven to do this. Why? Because our natural tendency is to not do it. That's the way it is. In other words, we all have great intentions, right? We all want to be diligent. This is what the Bible says for us as a Christian. I'm not to be lagging behind in my diligence. I want to be diligent, but guess what? We're all lazy. Uh Uh-oh, the blade got a little sharper. The kitchen got a little hotter. We're all just lazy. We are lazy for various reasons. So, in order to do this, in order to get there, we have to look at this from the basis, again, of verse 1 and 2. If we don't do that, we're going to go astray in our attempt at our diligence. If we don't do that, we're going to go away from reading this phrase that the Apostle Paul says here, and think that Paul is simply telling us to just pull ourselves together. Just pull yourselves together. I mean, it's the, it's the look, just get yourself up by your bootstraps and move. Well, he is in one sense telling us that. But he's saying much more than that. Because if we try to obey without proper motivation, without verse 1 and 2 as the undergirding reality, then we're just going to be busy with Christian stuff. We're just going to go, and, and, and as long as we're busy, as long as I'm up moving, I, I, as long as I'm a Christian activist, I'll say I'm diligent, but I have no real understanding as to why I'm doing what I'm doing. And so while Paul is telling us to not be lazy, it is a non-laziness that is born out of an understanding of God's mercy and grace for you. It's a non-laziness that is born out of a heart of gratitude. That's where it starts. Now we know what laziness is, don't we? Laziness is a is just a kind of slackness. It's a kind of slackness. A, a, a half-hearted, if you will, a half-hearted doing of whatever it is I'm to be doing. Now, you might be doing it, but you might be half-hearted, and if there's half-hearted, you're slack in it. You're, you're being lazy. It may not, it may be even not doing it at all. It's the very opposite of being energetic. Very opposite of being filled with energy, doing it with energy. And there are a whole lot of things that contribute to our being lazy or being without energy. Some of these things have to do with our own environment, right? Some have to do with our temperament, how we're, how we're wired. I may have said this some time ago in reference to my own family in my own home when our kids were growing up in the morning, we would notice that there was a difference in how our children faced the day. How they woke up in the morning, right? We even labeled them springers and feelers. That's how we labeled our children. Maybe you've used the same term. You've seen it somewhere else. It was their constitution, right? I think we all know what I'm talking about by your own experience. Some of us here in this room are feelers and some of us are springers when it comes to the morning, when it comes to the beginning of the day. And these factors have an effect on our Christian lives and how we live. We have to realize that they have an effect. We need to be aware of it. We can't assume that each one of us is going to approach the things of God, this command of God, in the same way, the same energy. We could even say it this way, and we all know this there is no standard cookie cutter Christian. There's no standard Christian. God has saved all kinds of different people. We're all got different wiring by way of temperament. All of that is just to say that there are a whole lot of things in life our temperaments, our discouragements, general troubles in life, whatever it is the Lord has brought about within our lives, living in this fallen world that affect us. And we all have them. But the question is, what do we do about it? That's the question. See, far too often we stay there and we say, well, that's just how I'm wired. So this is me deal with it. No, that's not how God wants us to deal with that because God's command is for everybody. God's command here isn't just for those who are springers, those who have the energy right when they wake up and say, okay, I'm going at it. That's because that's my wiring. No, this is for everybody. It's for springers. It's for feelers. It's for whatever our temperament is. So we have to ask the question, what do we do about it regardless of the factors and circumstances around me? What do I do about it? Because the command says, don't lag behind in diligence. We're not to be lagging behind in diligence. So how am I to do that in spite of those different factors? How is it that I not be lazy when I tend to be lazy? That's the question we have to ask ourselves. That's the question we don't want to ask ourselves, but that's the question we have to ask ourselves. Well, the first thing to help us with this is just this simple principle, and we're going to kind of look at this. And it is a principle that we gave earlier that I said that Paul is saying that, but not only that. It's this whole idea of rousing yourself. Rousing yourself. What do I mean by that? I mean, there are times when we need to metaphorically take ourselves and splash ourselves with a cup of cold water in the face. We need to shock ourselves. We need to rouse ourselves, stimulating ourselves to action. And there are several things we can do to help us with that. But I want to take us to a place in the Old Testament that is in the book of wisdom, Proverbs. So go back to Proverbs for a moment. Because we're dealing with this whole issue of laziness. Proverbs 6 is where I want to spend some time here this morning, just thinking about this and giving us maybe some helpful principles. Because in Proverbs 6, specifically in verses 6 through 11, Solomon, King Solomon, been given wisdom by God, is is writing out principles for his son or his family, his children, wise things for his kids to do. And by the way, if you want to ever wonder what you need to teach your children, go through chapters one through nine of Proverbs, and there is at least 90 different things there that you are to teach your children. You want to teach your children to be wise, teach them those things. If you want to teach them to be a fool, stay away from those chapters. So Solomon isn't wanting any of his children to fall prey to the kind of lifestyle that, that we're talking about here this morning, that we are commanded in Romans 12 to do, to be diligent, to not lag behind in diligence. So, and so he instructs them on how to overcome those kind of habits, how to overcome if they're already ingrained in you, or how to avoid them altogether. And here in verses 6 through 11, he gives three really directed, three pinpointed objectives, three helpful objectives to help deal with this whole area of laziness. And I'll just read it for us, and then we'll walk through that. Notice what he says beginning in verse 6. Go to the ant, O sluggard, observe her ways, and be wise, which having no chief, officer, or ruler prepares her food in the summer, and gathers her provision in the harvest. How long will you lie down, O sluggard? When will you arise from your sleep? A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest, and your poverty will come in like a vagabond, and your need like an armed man. Well, right here in these verses, Solomon is condensing the reality of dealing with this habitual reality of laziness in some of us, those who maybe struggle with it in a habitual sense and those who deal with it now and then. But all of us have, are dealing with this in one way or another. And right here he gives these objectives. And the first objective that Solomon gives to his son is this, model yourself, model yourself after the mature. Model yourself after the mature. Verses 6 through 8. Go to the ant, O sluggard. Observe her ways. Be wise, which having no chief officer or ruler, prepares her food in the summer and gathers her provision in the harvest. So Solomon is telling his son that there is something to be learned by watching those who do not struggle with laziness. Want to rouse yourself? Rouse yourself in that area. Rouse yourself to be with those who do not struggle in this area. And right here in Proverbs 6, he uses nature as an example. And notice, he tells them to do two things, right? Go to the mature. Two things I want you to do. I want you to go there, number one. Go to the ant, O sluggard. In other words, don't delay any longer. There's the rousing. Go without delay. Take immediate action. In other words, if procrastination is the problem, on this one thing, don't procrastinate. If procrastination is the issue at heart, here's one thing, just one thing. Don't procrastinate at this. Go and observe the mature. There's no time to waste in thinking about it. Get on the move. And then secondly, he says, observe, go and observe. Observe what? Observe their manner of life. Observe her ways and be wise. In other words, watch how they conduct their daily life. Watch what they do. Pattern your life after what they do. Watch their business of daily life. Watch them. Model yourself after them. And the outcome will be that you will be wise. Why? Why is that the outcome? Go to the ant, O sluggard, observe her ways, and be wise. Why is the outcome wisdom? Notice verses 7 and 8. Tells us what we learn from the mature. What we learn from this example from nature. Number one. The ant is a self-motivated creature. Notice verse 7, which having no chief, officer, or ruler. No chief. The ant has no one to rule over it. You can find a whole group of ants in the anthill and everyone's doing their business and no one's telling them and commanding them what to do. There is no boss. There is no one making sure they're doing their very task. No, they are self-motivated creatures. You know what they do? Continually rouse themselves. They're rousing themselves to action. It's innate in them. God created them that way. Well, we can be like the ant. We can rouse ourselves. They don't have a chief. They don't have an officer. They don't have a ruler. And yet, they're so self-motivated that they're carrying out their life, carrying out what's called of them, the duties. I've always wondered about the continual parade of motivational seminars that go on in life. I mean, every workplace, it seems, every time you turn around, there's some new motivational speaker, something available for a price. Usually a pretty high price, designed to motivate, motivate salespeople, motivate students, motivate others to some kind of productivity in life. It's amazing. And yet, right here in the Word of God, in stark contrast, the only seminar we need to attend is not some motivational speaker seminar. We just need to go to the ant, go to the ant seminar. Because from the ant, you can observe her ways and be wise. So this is the first lesson that is from the ant. The ant is self-motivated, self-motivated. But there's a second principle here as to the wisdom, why we can be wise, not only because we observe the self-motivation of the ant, but also we notice and observe that the ant is a planner, A planner. They're self-motivated, but they are also a planner. You notice verse 8, who prepares her food in the summer. Prepares her food in the summer. That means the ant is not a time waster. Ant's not a time waster. They prepare the food in the summertime, which means the ant is cognizant that winter is coming. A time when I can't prepare. I have to do it now because there's coming a time when I won't be able to do it. The ant knows that there is a great difference between summer and winter. I mean, it shouldn't shock us up here in the north. There's a great difference. If you don't think so, go outside for a minute. Summer demands that we even here, prepare. Summer demands us as Christians. The the times when, when the winters of life come demands that we prepare. Why? Because those times preclude preparation. You can't prepare then. So what is the proverb saying? What is Solomon saying to his son? He says, listen, Work needs to be done now. Work needs to be done now. Don't delay. Do your work now when there's time to do it. Don't put it off because other things are going to preclude it. Boy, this is a principle that I've tried to put into practice in my own ministry life. And I I find both sides of it happening because I have the tendency at times to be Lazy. And I always know this, when, when the week is busiest, when the week is busiest, God seems to throw something else in the busyness. So if I'm not dealing with what is happening and, and, and preparing ahead of time, the tyranny of the urgent comes at the end. The wave crashes. Don't put it off. Other issues will cause it to become urgent. And so when we look at the lazy, the lazy sees all things alike. Everything's on the same. Summer and winter are alike. And if they can put off until tomorrow, that's even better. My father used to always say to me and my brothers as young boys, if you fail to plan, then you better plan to fail. If you fail to plan, you better plan... To fail. Well, the lazy man fails to plan his actions and then only he can become a reactionist to the crisis when it happens. And so the lesson we learn from the ant is that the ant assumes that crisis is coming. The ant assumes that there's going to be a moment of crisis. And so I need to be prepared for it. And so he prepares now. Summer is here Winter is coming. Winter is coming. So the ant is self motivated, and the ant is a planner. But there's a third, there's a third reality here about observing her ways, and we can be wise. And, and by the way, wisdom, when you read it in the Proverbs, speaks of self. Skilled living, that's the whole idea behind wisdom. It isn't that you have this intellectual knowledge and you can quote things and go, oh yeah, and everybody looks at you and goes, man, he's so smart, he's got intellect. No, it's skilled living. It's carrying out what you do know in your mind in action. So this is skilled living. So we're learning how to be skilled in our living from looking at the ant, to not be lazy, right? They're self-motivated, they're planners, and then third, they're a hard worker. They're a hard worker. Verse eight, they prepare her food, she prepares her food in the summer, and gathers her provision in the harvest. So the ant works hard at the task at hand, whatever it needs to be done. After the plans are made, there's no time to waste, the ant works at the job until the job's finished. Sometimes when you're so busy, even that can bite you. I remember one time in seminary, we used to, at the beginning of seminary, we'd get all of our syllabi and all of these kinds of things, and every semester I would come home to my wife and I'd say, Honey, there is no way I'm going to complete all this work. There's no way. I have to read 4,000 pages. I got 10, 15 papers to do. How in the world? I got a family to feed, kids, work, all these kinds of things. She said, Listen, you say it every semester. Just get busy just start. And one time I started and I got all these papers done ahead of time for one of my classes, historical theology. And I had all these papers and one came due and it was in my backpack. I had forgotten that I'd finished it already. And I forgot to turn it in. It'd been done for two weeks. I went to the professor after that and said, listen, uh, the next week I I forgot to turn this in. Can I turn it in? He said, sure, you can turn it in now, but it will be a lower grade. Like, you're kidding me. I had forgotten what I did. We have to learn. We have to learn from the ant. So, the first objective that we learn is to model ourselves after the mature. Go and observe, model yourself after the mature. And then verses 9 and 10 give us a second objective, a second objective from the ant. The second objective is this, manage, this is the one we don't like, we'd we'd rather cut from verse 8 to verse 11 and just go to verse 12. But here it is, manage your sleep habits. Manage your sleep habits. It seems like the older I get, my bladder manages my sleep habits. But we have to manage our sleep habits. It's almost sarcastic here. It's almost in a sarcastic tone. Solomon poses the question. Posing the question to his own sons, his own people, as if they're already lazy, which he knows they are. He knows that's the tendency. Here's the sarcastic question. How long are you going to lie down? When are you going to get up? From your sleeping, you can almost hear him yelling at his kids in the morning. Get up, get up! Right, but here's the, here's the, the striking thing to me about laziness. Notice the reply from the lazy person. Just silence. There is no reply. Silence. A a reply is non (laughs) existent. He gives a no answer. You know what he does? Just give me a few more minutes. Just give me a few more minutes. That's what he wants. Just a few more minutes. A little more leisure time. A little more time on the back. I just want to relax. I want to do nothing. Listen, that's the constant cry of laziness. I just don't want to do anything. That's the constant cry of laziness. Lazy, the pattern of laziness in our lives surrenders the opportunities of life, one person said. It surrenders the opportunities of life one inch at a time. It's not big steps. It's just a little here, a little there, a little more. In other words, they procrastinate so frequently, they don't even realize that life is just slipping away minute by minute. I was reading one Norwegian proverb that said this, the lazier a man is, the more he's going to do tomorrow unquote. Isn't that great? I mean, we ought to to just put that on the mirror of our children's cars. The lazier a man, and our cars, maybe bumper stickers on our car. The lazier a man is, the more he's going to do tomorrow. Listen, I get it. I get it. I love a good night's sleep. In fact, I'd love to get a good night's sleep. In fact, we love a good nap in the afternoon, don't we? I mean, some of us are thinking about it right now. <laughs> Can't wait to get home and take my nap. I mean, Sunday is such a glorious day for that. None of that's wrong. But the word of God is showing us and saying to us that the lazy person refuses to rouse themselves. They refuse to rouse themselves and they use sleep as an excuse to not be diligent. In other words, they take what is meant to rejuvenate the body and they use it to avoid work, to avoid effort, to avoid doing. So you have to ask yourself this question. Do you love sleep to the point that you match the description right here. Do you love sleep to the point that you match the description that Solomon gives? Or maybe, maybe you match the description that is given in Proverbs 26 and verse 14. Here's what it says. As the door turns on its hinges so does the sluggard in his bed. Some of us, when we read that verse, start to creak. I don't like that. Right? Just as the door's place is to swing on the hinge, so the lazy place for the man who's lazy is to stay in his bed. All right, so balance is the key. That's what we're saying here. Balance is the key. One man said it right. He said it this way, quote, no one is so tired as the one who does nothing. No one is so tired as the one who does nothing. Charles Spurgeon once said it this way. Idleness is the very source of sin. Standing pools gather mud and nourish and breed venomous creatures. <laughs> what vividness. Let I me mean, think about that. Standing pools just gather mud and breed venomous creatures. They, they breed and nourish all kinds of stuff that's unhelpful. And then he went on to say, And so do the hearts of idle and slothful Christians. Unquote. Wow. So in Proverbs chapter 6, we're to model ourselves after the mature, rouse ourselves, go, Watch. Model yourself after them. Do what they do. Manage your sleep. You control it. Don't let it control you. And then he gives a third objective. He says, mull over the consequences. Think about the consequences if you don't. Verse 11, And your poverty will come in like a vagabond, and your need like an armed man. Your poverty will come in like a vagabond, your need like an armed man. Of course, Solomon's using the ant as a reality of of life, just life in general, and life of prospering in life and working hard in life. But this has a spiritual reality as well. Because this is the inevitable end of a life of laziness. Poverty. Sudden poverty. Poverty in a in a financial kind of way, and poverty in a spiritual way. in fact, the word here for vagabond in the Hebrew carries the idea of of someone with an intense walk that 's the idea an intense walk or, or running really a runner and so the picture that solomon 's using here when he says vagabond is that your your soul poverty or your economic Life, reality, which is poverty, is going to come on to you like a runner who suddenly comes by you as you're walking down the street, lazy, not thinking about life, not watching, not doing what you should be doing, and they're going to steal it. They're running by you, and they're taking it. Why? Because you lack diligence. We don't see spiritual poverty coming. When it gets here, it's a surprise. I can't believe I don't know what the Bible says. I can't believe I've spent my whole life as a spiritual infant. We're surprised, and yet we've never done anything to enhance our life. We've never spent any time reading the scriptures in any diligent kind of fashion. As if we're walking down the street and an unforeseen vagrant comes by grabbing what we have and just darts off with it. When we had the time to take care of the need, we were too lazy to do anything about it. Now we have to deal with it. We have to deal with it because now it's urgent. We have to deal with it like a man who's been robbed at gunpoint. Your need will come like an armed man. See, you can't just not deal with the guy who's got a gun to your head. You got to deal with it. It's urgent. Nothing else matters. That's what he's saying here. That's what's going to happen. When you're lazy and you stay that way and you don't rouse yourself and you don't watch, you don't model yourself after the mature, you don't. You don't pattern your life. You don't manage your sleep habits. You don't mull over these consequences. If I don't do something now, there's going to come time where the tyranny of the urgent must be dealt with. I have to deal with it now. Your want becomes urgent. So, take all of that and go back to Romans chapter 12. Because this is what Paul is commanding us in the first phrase in verse eleven. This is what he's commanding us. He begins in verse 10: be devoted to one another in brotherly love, give one preference to one another in honor, not lagging behind in diligence. In other words, rouse yourself. Don't lag behind, rouse yourself, deal with yourself, talk to yourself, reprimand yourself if necessary. Take yourself by the shoulders, the proverbial shoulders, and shake yourself. Don't lag behind in your diligence. In fact, be fervent in spirit. That word fervent is the word for boil over. Be hot. Be hot. There's controversy as to whether he's talking about the Holy Spirit or whether it's the spirit of us. It seems to me at least that in the flow of this, that it's driven by the spirit, but there's a sense in which our spirit must be hot. We know that it's God that produces all of this in us. It's a continual boiling spiritual effort. You've roused yourself up and you know that what you do isn't you, it's the Spirit driving you, boiling up in you. The Spirit that you have been given by Christ. You're energized by the Spirit and so you serve the Lord. You serve the Lord. You see, you remember you're part of the body. You're part of the body. It's the body of Christ. And so you have to remember that when you lag behind in diligence, the whole body's affected. The whole body's affected. See, there's no such thing in Christianity as some kind of isolated, unworking Christian. There's just an impossibility in Scripture without the whole body being affected. You cannot isolate yourself. There is no such thing as an independent unit. It's the body of Christ. Some have tried to say the body of Christ is a universal church. It's the body of Christ. Really? Really? Then how, by my lack of diligence, does the whole universal church suffer? No, the local body is a manifestation of the body of Christ in visible form. And when I'm not diligent in the local body, the body suffers. That's why the one another's are there. That's why it says be devoted to one another give preference to one another. If it's the universal idea here, how in the world do I give preference to my brothers and sisters in Asia in the body? Can't do that. I can only give preference in honor to you, the local believers that God has placed me with in this local manifestation of the body of Christ. And when I'm not doing my part, the whole suffers. It's the whole idea, listen, we live together, we die together. We live together, we die together. And so turn to yourself and rouse yourself to action. Trusting, trusting, knowing that it's the Spirit of God who is at work in you to do and to work for His good pleasure. And so we have to realize that we are called To work for God, offer ourselves, present our bodies as living and holy sacrifices. And therefore, as Ephesians 5.16 says, we are to be redeeming the time because the days are evil. That's what it says. In the year 1722 and 23, there was a young teenage boy, 19 years of age, who Happened to be in New York for a time. Set out early days of his Christian life. And he set out to write some resolutions for his life as a Christian. It was Jonathan Edwards. He was 19 years old. Jonathan Edwards sat down between August of 1722 and August of 1723 in resolutions that he determined to always keep in his life and go over every day in his mind. By the end of that list, he had 70 resolutions. Some of you may have read them. It's a wonderful read. They were things that he determined to live by as he found himself as a 19 year old boy in New York, not the New York we know today, but certainly a place of, temptation and all of these all of these 70 resolutions were undergirded with this preface this is what he wrote before them here's what he said quote being sensible that i am unable to do anything without god's help i do humbly entreat him by his grace to enable me to keep these resolutions so far as they are agreeable to his will for Christ's sake, unquote. You see, that thought, that reminder undergirded every one of the 70 resolutions that he made. And it's crucial, it's crucial, I think, that we keep that same idea in our mind when we think about these very commands of God, these resolutions, if you will. And I found it interesting that here's what number six resolution said. And I think it sums up our learning this morning. Resolution number six of Jonathan Edwards, with that thought in mind, said this, I'm resolved to live with all my might while I do live. I'm resolved to not lag behind in diligence. That's the idea, to live with all my might as long as I have breath in my lungs. Knowing, knowing with that preface that I'm unable to do anything without God's help, it's the Spirit that drives me. And so I humbly entreat God by His grace to enable me to keep that resolution so far as it's agreeable to him for the sake of Christ. So it's with and it's in God's strength because of his mercy and because of his grace that we can do the same thing Can not lag behind in diligence. Fervent in spirit, we can serve the Lord. Well, let's pray as we prepare our hearts in communion, realizing what God has accomplished for us. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for our time this morning. What a, what a way to rouse our hearts to action. Lord, our souls need it. We are, I know at least me, I'm a lazy, lazy person. Lord, but you are a gracious God. I thank you for that. I thank you for allowing us to learn these things with patience, grace, mercy. Thank you for giving us wisdom through Solomon, that we can rouse ourselves, that we can be roused and work on these things and slice off, by your grace and mercy, have sliced off of us the lazy tendencies so that you might be glorified. So Lord, we thank you as long as we do live. Help us to do all that we do to your glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.